Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet, looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons, and this is the official show of UTHDynasty.com, home to over 250 premium podcasts annually, Dynasty Trade Calculator, everything you need to dominate your leagues. we got a special guest this week, and Katie Flowers here as the co-host. Uh, our special guest is Paul Pertichese, and you can find him, uh, the co-owner of SaturdayToSundayFootball.com, and follow him for quite a while. And first thing is to congratulate him. He's got a new child uh, into his family. So the fact that he's finishing up work leading up to the NFL draft, but doing that now with a couple of kids and a newborn uh, in the house is Definitely. Uh, you get extra bonus credit, uh, but great to have you. We're going to talk some draft. We're going to talk some some NFL things as well as college landscape, uh, but great to have you on um, on this guest tour that we've had. A number of great guests, and you're just the, the most recent one. Can't wait to, to, to discuss things with you in this episode. Chad and Katie, thank you guys so much for having me on. I know uh, we tried to make this happen years ago, and I feel like it's been like, uh, you know, we've we've tried to uh, get on each other's podcast, and hopefully this year is finally the year that, you know, now I'm a guest on yours and look forward to having you on Saturday to Sunday as well. And yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, my second son was born last week, so getting back into the swing of things, prepping for draft season, finishing up the premium notebooks over at Saturday to Sunday. I know we're going to pump out some more podcasts. Uh, uh, before draft night as well. Uh, but yeah, really excited to uh, talk some prospects with you guys and uh, hear your takes. It's always a great time of the year. Uh, you know, these guys are players that we've been studying for this year. Some of these guys, two, three years, four years. And it's always great to hear other people's perspectives and takes and, and learn from other people in the industry as well. So excited to be here and, and talk some guys with you. I wanted to ask to start on the NFL landscape because I'm sure it's been a love-hate relationship and fandom for you for the Giants. And there's two players that are on the dynasty landscape that are pretty polarizing uh, depending on where you sit in their career arc so far. The first one I wanted to ask you about is Sequan Barkley um, because I am a, a huge fan. Um, it feels like there's a little bit of a discount going on out of sight, out of mind, significant injury. I will say like Adrian Peterson, if there's anyone that's going to come back somehow stronger and have his best year to date. Uh, I think Adrian, excuse, I almost said Adrian Peterson. I think Sequan Barkley is right on that tier level of maybe seeing a giant bounce back. And it feels like his career year has not happened yet. Uh, where do you stand on Sequan Barkley in terms of if folks are moving him down, inching him down in terms of dynasty valuation, he's still in his early 20s uh, and the Giants offense in general, but building around Sequan Barkley in 2021. What are your kind of thoughts on him elevating his play, returning to play um, after the injury in 2020. I'm right there with you. I do expect him to be one of those freak athletes that can return to maybe even higher, you know, in terms of 
health wise in terms of explosiveness. I don't think it's going to seep anything from him. I think the biggest question with him is going to be due to the Giants put around him a sporting cast, especially the offensive line that gives him the opportunity because he's really one of those guys where he can make something out of nothing. But if you give him a little bit of an opening, he's going to turn that those eight, 12 yard runs into 30, 40, 50, 60 yard touchdown runs at times. And that's going to be the biggest thing. I think I'd take every opportunity I could right now to buy low on him, relatively speaking, to where it was, you know, 365 days ago. And because I do think the Giants, whether I know Jason Garrett takes a lot of heat, I don't think Jason Garrett, honestly, is probably going to be there that long. I think Joe Judge is really starting to have his control throughout the entire franchise. For anybody who's been following them closely, they continue to bring in coaches and assistants from the collegiate level. I think Joe Judge understands how much he needs to modernize things. And if, if the, I think Jason Garrett's going to be said, listen, you got to open it up. We got to be a more explosive offense. I still think they're going wide receiver at 11. I know that's a, a take that other people might not have. I think they're going to look to really open things up on the offensive side. And if Garrett doesn't get the job done or he is hamstringing them, I think they're going to let one of these other younger guys that maybe they have in the building or go f- try to find the, the, the hot coordinator next off season from the college landscape. And I think it's only going to open things up for Saquon Barkley in terms of maybe he's not going to get more work than, than he got maybe his rookie year, but I think it's going to be more opportunity to make an impact in the passing game and maybe be put in situations where it's just not running into the line of scrimmage, you know, four yards, three yards, because they're just trying, you know, they're, they're very vanilla in terms of their offense. So I, I agree with you. I don't think he's had his career year yet. I think it's coming. I think I would expect the next couple of years. And if the Giants show progress this year, and if the hated general manager, David Gettleman keeps his job a little bit longer, I don't see the Giants not re-signing Saquon Barkley. And I think in terms of fantasy, you want him to stay put. You want him to be a member of the Giants rather than end up somewhere else where who knows? Like the Giants want to invest in him, want him to be the focal point or one of the focal points of the offense. So I think it behooves him to stay where he is and not move to another team because we usually don't see that work out well for running backs and especially in terms of their fantasy value. Yeah. And one thing we talk about incessantly between January and late March is that in free agency, when your team lets you go, that's generally not a good thing. You know, I've done a lot of, you know, uh, research in that, but also just intrinsically, your team is letting you go. It's kind of like if your company says, yeah, yeah, you can go over there, you know, to our competitor. That's okay. We don't really want you. What does that say? Because they know you better than any team out there. So, yeah, and I don't, I don't think with Sequan Barkley, I mean, that's going to be a huge discussion other than if there's maybe another significant injury and that clouds things for him. And another guy where they, they don't have a lot of uh, team control left is Evan Ingram. And there's been talk, you know, they brought in Kyle Rudolph. I think that's, you know, more of a blocking thing than anything that's going to happen in the passing game. But Evan Ingram is another one where if you kind of look at his profile, a lot of times his best season has not occurred yet within that profile. First round, he's missed some games. And last year he was inefficient, but he got a lot of targets. And I just watching and I just want to see if if sort of me from the outside looking inward uh, if you would agree with this and can extrapolate on this, if, if I am onto something, I don't get why they are using a guy that's one of the most athletic tight ends at the position, why they're using him on five yard routes, 
incessantly. Was that strictly the offensive line? Was that because they didn't feel comfortable with some of their other possession targets? Is it going to open up this year potentially? Um, so I just have a lot of questions because he could be one of the biggest press the vertical, you know, press the seam type players that can be explosive. And I just kind of wonder, are we going to get to see his best? Not with the giants, because we're going to see more of the same this year. And then he's going to walk and then another team is going to unlock him. That's my fear as a giants fan, because Evan Ingram is a guy that since he was at Ole Miss, we loved him at Saturday, Sunday. My co-host Matt Caraccio was on him before I even really became a big fan of him. And I remember when they drafted him and they, you know, added him at the time to Odell Beckham they had and like all these, these guys. And we we're like, wow, this offense is going to be really explosive. But the fear was the giants were just never just really creative offense, right? They were always a vanilla program and, and it won them some titles and, you know, but they, that just wasn't them. And we hope that they were going to make adjustments. And now we've had three coaching changes with Evan Ingram, right? We had the Ben McAdoo era. We had, you know, the Pat Shermer era. And now we have the Joe Judge and offensive coordinator, Jason Gary. And they still do not seem to know how to properly utilize Evan Ingram. Because you said it. There's only a handful of players at the position in the league, at the tight end position, who are more athletic than Evan Ingram. This is a guy who should be attacking the seam, getting vertically, should be utilized in a way of like how the the, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders used Darren Waller in, in some capacity, how the Chiefs use Travis Kelsey. Sure, he's not on a Travis Kelsey level, but his athleticism is on par with anybody at the tight end position, probably in the NFL until Kyle Pitts steps foot into the NFL and then he's probably in his own class. They just don't seem they they tried so hard to make him a serviceable blocker and he's okay there, mostly in space, not really lining up in line, but they just have never found a way to open it up for Evan Ingram. And I do agree. While I think fantasy people should want Saquon Barkley to stay with the Giants. I think Evan Ingram, and this is tight ends, I feel like sometimes do this does happen to. He might need a change of scenery. A different type of offensive coordinator might open things up for him and utilize his skill set. I hope the Giants don't give him away cheaply. I those trade rumors have been there for almost a year and a half now. And I'm glad that they haven't sold low on him because I do think he could be a really dynamic offensive weapon. And I'm kind of hoping that with the addition of Kenny Galladay, with Saquon Barkley coming back, and I'm still hoping that we see either Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith added to that offense. I'm kind of hoping that teams are going to look at Evan Ingram and be like, we really can't put too many resources into worrying about stopping Evan Ingram. And that does that finally allow him to have that breakout season in terms of yards, touchdowns, you know, receptions, and really start making plays more vertically down the field. I'm hopeful, but, but I wouldn't bet on it in fantasy. I still would be willing to buy low on him. I, and if I had him, I wouldn't want to sell low on him because I think I would just wait it out and kind of see where his next landing spot is because I, I don't like to quit on talent, especially athletic talent at the tight end position. First off, I wanted to say welcome to the show. I've listened to Saturday to Sunday. You know, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but when I do, that is one of them. I, I like your stuff. And also, as a Dallas Cowboy fan, I'm used to the vanilla call <laughs> of Jason Garrett and very uncreative, um, just 
I'm glad he's your problem now. You had mentioned it, and you just mentioned Jalen Waddle as a potential, but wide receiver at 11, who would be your favorite option, not as a fan so much as fantasy football fit, and then who would be like the worst that the Giants could take at 11 that would just irritate you uh, fantasy-wise? Well, in terms of who I think would be the best fit, I do think Jalen Waddle would be the best schematic fit for the Giants based on what they have on the roster and based on what he would add to it. I think he's the closest facsimile to Tyreek Hill we've had. Every year, I feel like somebody throws out the comparison, this guy's like Tyreek Hill. And I've never really, the entire time it's Saturday to Sunday, I've never felt watching any college-wide receiver in preparation for the draft that he reminded me of Tyree Kale. We had guys who reminded me of Deshaun Jackson or Will Fuller and that explosive vertical speed down the field, but never the explosion would also the ability to have the play strength to win at the catch point to uh, an elite punt returner. I think Jalen Waddell would add that dynamic piece to the offense because they have Kenny Galladay, who's not a big separator. He's more win at the catch point, you know, great uh, body control ability to adjust, great length. They have Sterling Shepard, who I think is still a very underrated player. I think he's a very good slot wide receiver. And I think Darius Slayton is a good receiver. I don't think he is as good as maybe giant fans want to think, but I think he could be a solid number three type wide receiver as well. But I still think they're missing that big time vertical threat. So I think Jalen Waddle fits the giants best. I don't know if it would be the best fantasy in terms of, I think it would be a little bit hit or miss. I think Devonta Smith might be a little bit more consistent from, from that perspective. I want one of the Bama wide receivers. I it's very hard for me to pick between who I think would be a better fit for the giants. I think it would be Waddle just based on the other receivers that they have on the field. And I got to imagine it would open up the entire offense. You're talking, we, we talked about Evan Ingram. I think it would open up the short to intermediate, maybe to hit Evan Ingram. So we could do stuff after the catch. I think it would open up, take men out of the box for Saquon Barkley. So I think the tactical value that Jalen Waddle would bring would help the giants most. I think fantasy wise, Devonta Smith might produce at a level in terms of more consistent fantasy value out of the gate. And in terms of, I don't think there's a wide receiver that I would be that mad with at, in terms of the pick at 11. Uh, I like a lot of the other wide receivers. I, honestly, I think, I think it would be a reach if they took Rashad Bateman or Terrace Marshall there, because I think they're more late round one type guys, but I wouldn't be like really irate over it. So like, it would probably have to be a different position to really frustrate me in terms of if, if the giants loved one of these other wide receivers, I, I, I could see the rationale behind a Bateman or Terrace Marshall, even a Kadarius Tony, uh, I could see the rationale behind those guys. I would think it's a little bit of a reach though after those top three guys and Chase Smith and Waddle. Uh, but it would be more if they kind of went, you know, in terms of really upsetting me, it would be more if they went on the defensive side and went for a pass rusher. Cause I just don't think anybody's warrant to pick at 11 for the giants. From uh, what I've heard in the, in the just general rookie draft and, and community, uh, a couple polarizing players that I kind of wanted your take. So is this, are you on the bullish side of this or the bearish side? Um, the first one is Javante Williams. So some have him as running back one of the class. Some 
firmly say he's running back three or four, let's say on the, on the downside. Um, what's your general take on Javante Williams, who really wasn't uh, big on say the Devi radar, you know, 12 months ago, 18 months ago, and, uh, comes up with Michael Carter and that, that North Carolina backfield duo, um, the pro day wasn't all that great. A lot of people are saying that's not who he is, you know, and I would say I thought a lot of people thought he was 220, 225 and a, a big power runner. I'm not saying you can't be a power runner at 210, uh, but what, what's your thought on Javante Williams? Is he closer? Are you closer to that running back one, two part of the class or more like running back three, four? Three, four, for sure. So for me, there's, there's a clear teardrop after one, two. To me, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne are in their own tier. Uh, when we did our tier buster show Saturday to Sunday, they were the only two guys in tier one. To me, they're the only two guys that deserve consideration for round one. Tier two, though, does get a little bit interesting. And I talked about it. I kind of think Javante Williams almost could be in his own tier. I don't think he's in the Najee Harris, Travis Etienne tier, but I do think he's got the skill set to maybe be a three down runner more than I think Michael Carter or Kenneth Gainwell or Trey Sermon who make up that other, the rest of that tier two for me or so. So I, it's a little unique. I don't think he's on the Najee Harris Etienne. So I definitely am more that he's in that for me, he's clearly my number three. I kind of put him on the spectrum of these two players in terms of NFL. To me, when I watched him play, I thought he was very much Chris Carson. That was the guy that I thought I, I saw in terms of the physicality, the toughness. Now, again, I was expecting him to be 220 as well because that was his listed weight. He played like he was a 220-pound back. So to me, the the low end was Chris Carson. And then the if everything hit perfectly and he tested out better and I said, okay, could he be Nick Chubb, right? I don't think he was Nick Chubb, but that Chris Carson to Nick Chubb was kind of the spectrum level from low to high where I could see the Javante Williams. I think more Chris Carson. I know some people who have him at the top, they must be seeing a little bit more of the Nick Chubb type comparison. I think stylistically there's some similarities there. I just don't think he's as talented as Nick Chubb, but I could see that spectrum of, of range for a guy like Javante Williams. Yeah, the one thing that bugged me was if he trimmed down for the pro day. You know, if he really played at 222, 225, and he trimmed down and he's still, you know, 455 or so, I mean, that means if he if he's going to actually play heavier than that, he might be a 46 guy. And then we might have a lot of these questions because Nick Chubb, obviously, you know, you don't catch him in the open field. He has that huge, uh, long touchdown upside. And we've seen with Josh Jacobs and some of these other guys that are real four, six guys, they, they're going to struggle to put up those 20 plus 25 plus yard runs. You got to be a grinder, a sustainer, and not that you can't do that in the NFL. We have a few, um, but that would be the one limitation for me that just kind of, uh, you know, a big back that comes in tweener sized and really, you know, if you were doing that to work out well, uh, it didn't work out well. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, my, if I can just jump in one thing, my thing is, my guess is someone is going to, in most rookie drafts, unless he lands in the, uh, a pristine landing spot. My guess is other people are going to take him before I'm comfortable. And I'm just going to see more value, whether it's taking wide receivers who are it's stacked, whether it's, you know, taking a quarterback, even in a one quarterback league. I think there's some really high upside guys here. I could see myself 
unless the landing spot is really ideal saying, okay, I like them. I don't love them. I'm going to let somebody else, I'm going to pivot to a different position unless I just so much love the landing spot. Cause we do know that when we're talking running backs, a lot of times, especially if we're talking small windows as we should with running backs of a couple years, you know, if it's a good landing spot, he could easily push himself well into the, the first half of round one of rookie drafts. I would feel more comfortable saying just on skill alone, I have him as my 15th most skillful offensive player in this draft. Yeah, that's actually almost exactly where I have him. And it seems like he's going to be a mid first distraction. You know, if he does go top 50 or so, and like you said, if he goes to a decent landing spot or better of one of the, you know, three, four, five open ones or relatively perceived as open, that he's going to get boosted up, you know, because running backs do. And those landing spots, just uh, like a swan song, are going to draw people in. Uh, if he goes to Atlanta in the top of round two, he's going to go in the first five or six picks of her. Well, backs. he might be, he might crack the top two running backs universally, you know, regardless. Yeah, 100%. So hundred percent. Yeah. Even if there was one, you know, a couple guys that went ahead of him, let's say um, the wide receiver I wanted to ask you about is, is Rondell Moore. So he is a, I mean, talk about the, uh, the measurement, the height measurement heard around the world, you know, Oh, he's five, nine, five, 10. He comes in at five, seven. And all of a sudden it feels like it's Russell Wilson all over again. Right. That's uh, if you have to be this tall to ride the ride and Rondell Moore is one that, Again, you rewind all the way to 18 years old and we're having a different conversation. If you look at him and pound for pound, you know, how he works out and, and the way he's taken his training seriously, how strong he is, where do you think he kind of fits in today's NFL? And were you, has the last six to 12 months done anything for, for what you thought of him, say, three years ago when he was just starting his Purdue career? Yeah, I mean, I think he's came down a little bit from when we started that freshman year. You know, I think a lot of people back then would have said he probably would have been at the top of his class or in the top three in his class. Now, this is a really special class. So for me, he's six. So like, it's not like this monumental fall, but I know for other people, he might even be further down the board. I do think he's coming into the league at the right time, though. That five foot seven measurement, that wouldn't have fared well six, seven, eight years ago and forget about if it was like 10 or 12 years ago, that would have dropped him to day three immediately back in the day. I think the NFL and the creativity component that we were talking about before, I think the NFL is more open now to whether it's at the quarterback position, the wide receiver, running back. I think they're more open to outliers in terms of height, weight, whatever the case may be. So I think a guy like Rondell Moore still fits today's NFL when teams are just looking to get the ball into their playmakers hands in a variety of ways. So when I, when I view Rondell Moore, I kind of envision a team having to get creative with him. And, and what I mean by that is you're going to have to do a lot of different things with him. Like Similarly, the 49ers were very smart with how they used Debo Samuel his first year. The Jaguars at times were smart about how they used LaVisca Chenault last year. So I think Rondell Moore is a little bit in that world where he's going to get touches manufactured for him that way. And that's going to bring his overall value up as we learn of whether or not he can be an elite regular wide receiver and be a great wide receiver in terms of route running, winning vertically down the field, but his athleticism, his speed, and them getting the ball to him in terms of manufactured touches as an offensive weapon, I think is going to rise up his actual value in terms of not a guy who's only going to rely upon making a big play vertically down the field. So I think I mentioned 
Chenault and, and Debo Samuel. I think even DJ Moore. DJ Moore is a guy who lives a lot in the short to intermediate range, right? And then there was a period of time this year that you know him and uh, Robbie Anderson kind of flip flopped roles. Robbie Anderson was always the vertical guy, and then all of a sudden they they swapped for a part of the year. But I still think DJ Moore is is another guy too that lives more in the short to intermediate yards after the catch. I mean, running now more. He built, you know, he's built like a truck for a guy his size. So like he could absorb some of that punishment. You can do things close to the line of scrimmage with him. So I like him. I think he's falling down though, in terms of the NFL landscape. Like, I don't think round one's even in consideration anymore, to be honest with you. And I now think guys in the NFL landscape, I think Elijah Moore going ahead of him. I think there is Tony for sure going ahead of him. You know, if you want to believe, you know, major media like Daniel Jeremiah, he's been pushing Tutu Atwell out of Louisville as a potential late round one, early round two guy. So I think there's going to be a lot more wide receivers that we're surprised go ahead of Rondell Moore, something we would have never seen. I have him at six. I could see the NFL having him at nine or 10. And that's hard to kind of fathom that he maybe has went from what we thought was going to be one or two down to maybe the NFL viewing him as nine or 10. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I've seen that momentum. It seems like it's working opposite, you know, that he was in the twenties, you know, so you see some of these big boards and overall expected draft position. And now he's into the forties and I, I kind of expect it to be fifties or sixties by the time we get to the draft. And like I you agree. said, that could be wide receiver seven, eight, nine uh, with this strong class. But I just, and part of me as a, you know, put, put a dynasty valuation on him as much as I really like him as a profile and as a player, you still have to have pause with a day two receivers and, and also guys that are going to fall down the board because it is going to mirror to some degree NFL draft position. So what I'm saying is I don't think you, you might've been thinking, Oh yeah, you know, in January, Rondell Moore, 107, 108, I'm going to earmark that pick. But I think now you can pretty comfortably say maybe early to mid second round, you know, that, that I can get Rondell Moore there, which I think is historically significant for that profile. Yet again, I think you have to not be so overzealous when, if the NFL draft position is like 58 overall, that you can't really, push that guy in a strong class, like having him over Devonta Smith or, or, or Jalen Waddle or guys that are going around plus ahead of him NFL wise. Uh, that is a really dangerous precedent and ground that you are attempting to, to traverse. So um, I think yeah. one of the biggest mistakes people make in the dynasty community is not understanding the value of draft position and draft capital and how much it matters. And I think too often people are slow to react based on how many years they've been talking about a guy in the Debbie community. We saw it with Equinemia St. Brown, right? Like people wanted to take him really, really high in rookie drafts because we had been talking about him forever. And then a couple years ago, like, Hakeem Butler was, you know, and then he, he falls to the, the first pick in the fourth round and he's still going too high in rookie drafts because people, you know, what, what the Devi and draft Twitter community thinks sometimes it's very different than the NFL community. And let's just be honest, the NFL community, yeah, they get things wrong for sure at times, but they have so much more access, so much more resources at their disposal, so much more film at their disposal that more times than not, where a guy goes kind of gives you a little bit of insight in terms of maybe what kind of opportunity, what the league thinks of him. Yeah. There's always mistakes. DK Metcalf falling as far as he did and stuff like that. But I, I do think once you get past those first 
two rounds. You got to be really careful about overvaluing a guy that we've liked in the Debbie landscape for years. If the NFL says, yeah, we don't really feel the same way. And there's one more knock against Rondell Moore. As you mentioned in the NFL, he's got to be schemed open. He was schemed open at Purdue. He didn't, he wasn't really a real wide receiver with real running routes. He was doing a lot of sweeps and a lot of, you know, just gimmicky type stuff. Everything was within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. I was, I was just going to say you're, you're spot on in terms of the landing spot for wide receiver. Obviously, you love it when they get paired with a, a great quarterback. But there are some wide receivers that really are more scheme dependent in terms of having that creative mind, right? Kyle Shanahan, Debo Samuel. I wasn't concerned about Debo Samuel, right? Because Kyle Shanahan knows how to put his players in positions to succeed. You know, I had my concerns about LaVisca Chenault last year with Jacksonville. I have way less concerns now. I love the player. I have way less concerns now in an Urban Meyer offense and Trevor Lawrence there, right? You know, you think about the Rams and Sean McAvey, they would know how to maximize a Rondell Moore, right? So I think you bring a really important part there saying that he was schemed open in college. He's probably gonna have to be schemed open and using those different ways in the NFL. We know the coaches and, and the offensive schemes that do a good job at that. And then we know teams that don't do a good job of it, right? We talked about Jason Garrett. We talked about the Giants already. I'm not sure, unless there's a big change with the Giants, Rondell Moore really would maximize his skill set with the New York Giants. Right. So we know that San Francisco traded up to the number three spot. And there's been a lot of speculation about Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones. And now they're saying that uh, San Francisco's crew is going to watch the next time that Justin Fields throws. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on that quarterback, uh, the number three spot. We know pretty much who's going to go one and two. What do you think of three? So I'll say this. I think the Jets are going to make a mistake. I think the 49ers are going to make a mistake. And I have a feeling I'm going to exaggerate a little bit here. But once upon a time, the Portland Trailblazers took Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan and, and they rude the day of that. I think Justin Fields is going to make every team that passes on him look foolish and stupid. To me, he's Deshaun Watson 2.0 on the football field. We don't know what's going on with Deshaun Watson off the football field. I think people are trying to find holes in Justin Fields' game because he played at Ohio State, because Dwayne Haskins recently came there and failed, and people are not, and, and he's been talked about for so long. But to me, the gap between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields is closer than the rest of the quarterback class is to Justin Fields. I think the Jets are going to make a mistake. I like Zach Wilson a lot. I did a whole deep dive on Saturday to Sunday. I comped him to Tony Romo. I like his game. I don't think he should be the pick over Justin Fields. And the 49ers, I think, are about to make one of the biggest mistakes in the history of the NFL draft trading up that draft compensation and then taking Mac Jones, who I do not think in today's NFL landscape of you need a quarterback who can play off structure, can make plays with his legs, can buy time inside the pocket and outside the pocket. I'm not drafting a guy who I think is upside is somewhere on the Andy Dalton, the Kirk Cousins spectrum. And that's that's Mac Jones now would have to be an outlier. We, when's the last time a true pocket passing quarterback has came into the league and been successful? Josh Rosen, massive bust. 
Dwayne Haskins, massive bust. And we can go find other ones. Traditional pocket passing quarterbacks are not what the NFL is looking for anymore. And most of them that have been taken recently in round one have been major disappointments. I think San Francisco is going to make a huge mistake taking him with that. I understand that he's Kyle Shanahan is one with Matt Ryan and Kirk Cousins, and he might like that style of quarterback. Then I don't understand why he just didn't stay at 12 or make a small move up. Maybe just trade with the Eagles who wanted to move back to 12 anyway and, and, and move up a little bit to give up all that draft compensation. I think is a big mistake. I think Mac Jones is a second round talent. I think he could be a functional starter in the NFL functional. Like I said, Andy Dalton, the Kirk Cousins range, I think Justin Fields, like I mentioned, is Deshaun Watson. I think he's the clear quarterback, too, in this class. I think there's a gap after him where then you say, okay, Wilson and Lance, to me, are, are pretty comparable. And then a massive teardrop for me down to Mac Jones. I'd much rather Jamie Newman in round three or four than Mac Jones in round one, and it's not particularly close for me. Yeah, I think what people are also forgetting is the fact that the rushing game is just so important to fantasy. You know, so if I want to see, I actually want to see Mac Jones go to the 49ers for one reason. And that's so that I want to see how he gets pushed up because that's going to be viewed as a golden landing spot. Is he going to crash the top three or four of Superflex drafts? I want to see what that does, the ripples of, especially what if Fields or Lance go to Atlanta or one of these spots where they're viewed as not going to play right away. Are they going to drift? Are they suddenly going to be 110 in Superflex drafts, 112? You know, are they going to fall through the floor because you're not going to get to see them for a month or two? And who knows what's going to happen later in the season or if there's an injury that that turns the page uh, for whatever incumbent suddenly now doesn't have a job. Um, I'm right with you. I, I think from fantasy purposes, you know, Fields and Lance are QB2-3 for me uh, just because I don't think folks are hip enough or on enough their potential... I mean, game-changing rushing ability that even if... I mean, look at what Jalen Hurts did, and I think they are superior passers to Jalen Hurts. Look at what Jalen Hurts was fantasy-wise. We'll see if he actually sticks NFL-wise. But again, he's like a top 15 weekly play, and the guy can't really throw. So imagine if there's more upside, because both of them are superior athletes and runners to Jalen Hurts, in my opinion. And imagine if there's better uh, passing upside within that construct and that profile. So fantasy, it's explosive with, with Fields and Lance specifically. So um, I, I just wanted to, to make sure that, you know, again, Mac Jones for listeners, if he goes to the 49ers, that's going to be a Javonta Williams-like distraction pick that you should be rooting for that, in, you know, infiltrates your top five or six. Yeah, I mean, Fields and, Fields and Lance have the, and again, we don't know the scheme that they're going to be put in, but they have the rushing capabilities to be Lamar Jackson. And they're both better natural throwers than Lamar Jackson was coming out of college. Now, Lamar Jackson has improved. He's still got more growth and development to do. And, and there's a lot of growth and development Justin Fields and Trey Lance have to do uh, to even ever be as successful as Lamar Jackson has been in, in his few years in the NFL. But they're, they're starting at a much higher base in terms of their natural passing ability than Lamar Jackson was in terms of you know when they were drafted into the NFL. Going deeper, because uh, we all have our sleepers. And and now that we see, again, I think with running back, this is going to be a pretty interesting day three. Now, day three can mean the, the player is not really on the radar anymore. But who do you project outside that, say, top consensus top five, six, seven running backs? So 
this is probably going to be a deep guy. You know, maybe, maybe someone goes rogue and drafts him in round four or something like that. But do you have a guy? Could be a small schooler. Could be a guy that didn't produce. Could be someone that popped up with a pro day that you were already kind of tracking. Looking at that criteria, who kind of stands out as someone that could be, I'm not going to say whispers of James Robinson or something like that, but someone that you can see being drafted, being a primary backup, getting an opportunity if there is an injury, you know, and popping up on the radar from pretty much deep down a, a class that isn't viewed as overly strong. Two guys that I think will be day three guys that, that I'm intrigued by. One is Javion Hawkins out of Louisville. I think he, there's some comp to a guy like Philip Lindsay. And we've seen Philip Lindsay have some success. Obviously he, I think went undrafted. Right. And then, you know, he, he became a guy who is a fancy viable guy. I think Javion Hawkins at a Louisville is a guy who's a very explosive player, great agility, great change of direction. He's got to show Louisville just didn't really utilize him much in the passing game. So it's one of those things that were left kind of, and this is why, in some regards, I do miss the combine a little bit because I do like sometimes seeing these running backs who just aren't asked to do much in terms of pass receiving in, in at the collegiate game, how they look, you know, running the routes at the combine. Did they ask him not to do it because he can't do it or they, he just wasn't asked to do it? Because if he can be a, an effective receiver out of the backfield, I think you're talking about a guy who's got third down change of pace potential, but a guy who what we wanted Justice Hill to be, and I thought Justice Hill could be, I think Jay Van Hawkins has a skill set that could be reminiscent of what we started Philip Lindsay, what I think we wanted to see out of Justice Hill, but never really got an opportunity there. So he'd be one guy, and then another smaller school, and then a small school guy, Jared Patterson out of Buffalo, is a guy that's had a prolific collegiate career. I think he's a guy that does have that dual versatility to be a triple threat. He could receive it. He can uh, catch it out of the backfield. So he's a guy that I like as a three down type player. Again, probably go around five somewhere there, but I think he's Hawkins and Patterson are probably two guys who I'm most intrigued with, who are going to go on day three. I mean, I could have, the, the low hanging fruit was, was Juba Hubbard, who I think is probably going to go day three in round four, but he's a guy that we've been talking about for many years. So I kind of, I kind of went a little deeper uh, with Hawkins and Patterson. And then the other part that I was going to ask you is beyond the big five, because there's super flex value beyond the big names. They're going to go early, all five of them, probably first round picks and super flex and two quarterback. But there's another cluster. Uh, you mentioned Jamie Newman in passing. You've got Kyle Trask or Kellen Mond or Davis Mills uh, that, that, you know, finally he's healthy and we're seeing him play from the past year or so. Um, is there, and maybe someone else, is there someone that, is either going to go higher on day two than, than a lot of us are expecting because it's really five and then you know the rest. Or is there someone that, that even if they drift to day three, you think there's developmental upside here that they could be a quality NFL backup sticking for a while plus situational or even developing into a starter? So two names I want to mention. One is I think the NFL is going to push up Davis Mills. I don't agree with it, but the NFL, there's still a lot of people who are stuck in their ways. He's going to look at Davis Mills, traditional, the, the prototype, the height, the weight, the arm talent, et cetera, et cetera. So I think he might get pushed up. If there's a surprise quarterback in the top three rounds, I could see Davis Mills sneaking in there, kind of like how Davis Webb did a while back in terms of the late third round there when the Giants wasted a pick on him. I could see Davis Mills doing being that guy he would not be the guy i'm targeting in fantasy 
personally, I mentioned them before, my guy's Jamie Newman. I think no player, and again, we don't know the conditions and the reasons why. I, I would like to think it was not because he wanted to steer clear of a challenge, because he took on the challenge of transferring from Wake Forest to Georgia. And I thought there was no player that was going to benefit more from transferring and from playing in the SEC in big games every single week on CBS or ESPN than Jamie Newman. And I honestly believe that if he played this year and he played well against the Alabamas and, you know, all the great SEC teams, I thought there was a legitimate chance he could have pushed his way into the round one conversation because I'll, I'll tell anyone you go find Jamie Newman, Wake Forest film, and then you Google Cam Newton, Auburn film, not Cam Newton, Super Bowl player, you know, NFL player. But if you just, Google Cam Newton Auburn film and then Google Jamie Newman Wake Forest. There are so many similarities in terms of arm talent, in terms of athleticism, play strength, their red zone prowess as a runner that I really thought he could have been a guy that elevated his stock, maybe not to the level of Joe Burrow from like Dave Bree to the first pick in the draft. But I thought he could have been a guy at least was in the conversation to go round one or early round two. So I don't know what was the reason he didn't play this year and opted out. It hurt him a lot. I think he's probably now going to go day three. If I was an NFL team, I, I would take a flyer on him late round three, to be honest with you, because I do think there's a lot of developmental upside there. He's got the arm talent. He's not just a runner. He can throw the ball. He's got some good touch. He, he can push the ball vertically down the field. But then he also, for fantasy, has that running component, has that red zone prowess like Cam Newton or Josh Allen in terms of their rushing capabilities in the red zone near the goal line. So he'd be the guy that I'd be very intrigued in a super flex league. I want to see where he goes. And if they don't have like an established long-term starter kind of built in there, he'd be a guy that I definitely would want to get just kind of stash him bottom of my roster, taxi squad, something like that. Because I still believe that Newman could be a guy who really does have a chance at the NFL level. And I've got one last question for you. Mine is a question about college. I know you study the college game. If you could pick one or two attributes of a college wide receiver that translate best to the NFL, what would you say those are? For me, hands down, it's their route running and their footwork. You know, I screamed from the hilltop to tell people not to overreact to Calvin Ridley's combine when people were ready to know so many people in the community immediately bounced them off of being their number one wide receiver. They elevated DJ Moore, and then they wanted to knock him for going to Atlanta. And for me, it's always the route running this past year. I love Jerry Judy the most. Now he disappointed this year. The drops thing was a really bizarre thing. That was not something I ever expected him to have issues with. And I still would highly recommend buying Jerry Judy fairly, probably pretty low compared to where he was, you know, a year ago from now, especially considering, you know, Cortland Sun's coming back. The quarterback situation is uncertain, but for me, collegiate wide receivers, I'm always looking for that route running, that separation quickness, their footwork to get in and out of releases and in and out of breaks. Because to me, that's the one thing that translates. We've seen so many guys from Laquan Treadwell to, you know, I mentioned them before, Akeem Butler, and, and there's been other guys who, you know, uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside, and the list goes long there of guys that can't, 
separate at the NFL level. And all of a sudden, when they're when the cornerbacks and the defensive backs aren't as unathletic as the opponents they sometimes face at the collegiate game, all of a sudden they can't just bully ball every single thing, right? Nikhil Harry, same thing. I didn't love Nikhil Harry. You know, I was a little bit on an island in terms of having Nikhil Harry like sixth or seventh when everybody had him at one or two and loved him. But I just had my concerns that the way he played at Arizona State what was transferable about that? You know, we always talk about Saturday, Sunday. We look for solving NFL problems. And there are guys that put up really gaudy stats a lot in college. But are they getting those stats by solving any NFL problems? So for me, guys who are really good route runners create massive separation. I think that translates. And I think you can see it translates. So it's guys like under, you know, we didn't even get a chance to talk about them. But I love in terms of a sleeper, Kay Johnson out of South Dakota State. To me, I love Deontay Johnson coming out of Toledo. I feel the same way about Kay Johnson coming out of South Dakota State. I think he's going to go on day two, and he's not being talked about at all in the fantasy or, or Debbie community because he's just not been a guy that's on our radar. But his route running, nobody could stay with him at the Senior Bowl. He was just getting open at will. And I think he's a guy that NFL teams really value that route running component as well. And, and that's probably the number one thing that I look for when I'm evaluating a college wide receiver. And like I said, just solving NFL problems, right? NFL, NFL problems, but one particular trait, it would be route running slash footwork separation quickness. Excellent. Yeah. Um, last question for me. And I wanted to talk about and, and have you address the benefits and maybe drawbacks. You mentioned it early in the show about playing Devi, whether that's campus to Canton, whether that is a shallow Devi, a deep Devi uh, dynasty format uh, in terms of having to draft, whether it's incoming freshmen or it's existing college players. Talk about some of the pros and cons. We're big advocates here of if you've never played it, at least try it. Even if it's a shallow one where each team gets to draft one Devi player a year, that is at least getting some skin in the game of looking at players yet to be drafted, yet to be a part of the draft process, and yet to finish their college careers. So talk about some pros and cons of going down the rabbit hole <laughs> that is either going to draw you in and you're going to want to play in only Devi leagues going forward, or you're going to say, ah, it's not for me. Because you've mentioned some pros and cons sort of in passing so far. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think they're fun, but I do think they have some drawbacks as well. I think sometimes we have tunnel vision and we get too focused in on guys that we've been talking about forever. And we sometimes hold guys too long and we overvalue guys, you know, so I think that's that's some of the pitfalls of it. I also think sometimes people are too enamored with stockpiling Devi assets and, and collegiate players. And then they're always looking ahead and do they ever get a team that could actually win their league, right? We, we play fantasy football because it's fun, but we also want to win, right? And I think sometimes in, in the Devi, but that also goes to the positive side of it. I think there's an opening if you understand Devi and understand that things change, right? A few years ago, Nick Chubb was the best running back in the NFL, right? The most valuable fantasy asset there was we are not very good at long-term predictive business in, in terms of football players. There's injuries, depth charge change, coaches are fired, next man up happens, injuries happen. So I think sometimes you can take that to your advantage in a Devi league and you could really attack 
those guys who are a couple years into the league. I even think sometimes people are so quick to be down on the guy after their rookie year. There's nothing I like more than buying second year players. And I love having rookie picks, but I think sometimes the best value is selling your rookie picks for guys who just came out one year ago or two years ago that people are a little bit down on and just try to catch them on the way up. And I think in a Debbie league more than any, there's an opportunity. So that's the, those are the pros about it. It gets you kind of, you know, learning more players. So that's a good thing. And you're, you're more familiar. It makes the collegiate game more fun in terms. And in addition, football on Sunday, it makes you more interested in the NFL draft and where these guys get, get picked upon. I think it makes you a better dynasty player. If you play Debbie for sure, because you already have a understanding and a knowledge of so many more prospects. And I do think that I do think if you're a smart Debbie player, there's an opportunity to take advantage of the people who are saying, Oh, I'm going to have the best team in five years, well, five years, a lot can change. Right. So I, I think there's an opening sometimes to really build a, a really great team now and not with guys who are 30 years old, guys who are in their second, third, fourth years in their NFL careers. And unless you're talking about the wide res- uh, the running back position, they have a long trajectory of their career probably still left. So I think that's, I think that's the thing. And, and then, like I said, the pitfall or the negative, I think sometimes is, is we do keep that tunnel vision, right? That a guy was a really highly regarded recruit coming out of high school. You invest a high, you know, a, a high Devi pick in him. And then you, you constantly value him based on what he was years ago. And that kind of holds true, right? Through right? a guy like Equinemia St. Brown and so many other guys who are, are you know, were, were Devi darlings and then never really materialize. I think you got to know sometimes when to get in and when to get out on a prospect. And I think sometimes people have a hard time with that in, in the Devi community. Paul Perdikizi, thanks so much for coming on. Please share where folks can find you. You have a big, massive project that you are currently finishing and everyone should check out as well. So what's on your docket? Where can they find you in addition to, you know, after now hearing you on this show? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Paulie23NY. Saturday, Sunday podcast. You can find it on any podcast app that you listen to. And then you can get over to the website. You can either just do S S football or write it out Saturday, the number two Sunday football.com. And then check out our premium content tab for nine 99. You get access to all three premium notebooks. The draft projection notebook is the one that still needs to be released. We'll have tabs for every single position, offense and defense, a snapshot of who the player is, uh, some, how they win some developmental or concerning areas projecting how I expect to the go from everything I'm hearing. You get the scouting notebook, which has close to a hundred player profiles, really in depth. And then you get our rankings notebook, which has all our rankings, our tiers, our dynasty rookie rankings, our Devi rankings, our draft eligible rankings. Uh, any of our rankings are found there. It's the best way to support the show uh, and help us continue to do what we're doing over at Saturday to Sunday. Yeah, excellent stuff. And like Katie said, you know, I am not a heavy consumer uh, of other podcasts, especially of the fantasy football variety. Uh, but Saturday to Sunday is absolutely one that I I check out, and and you should as well. You can support uh, what we do at Patreon.com/uth, or you can subscribe at uthdynasty.com to get even more podcasts uh, than this free weekly show. And as I mentioned, rankings, uh, metrics, and a trade calculator that's going to help you win your league, win more trades. And uh, like Paul 
Paul said, you know, you got to have to blend that line. You want to win your league. You don't want to have the pretty roster syndrome. You don't want to just pile up devies. And then uh, we've seen, we've seen GMs like that where, you know, they get to them, you know, year one, year two in the NFL and they're uh, trading them for more devy picks and more devy players. And that can be a vicious cycle where it's, you know, tick tock, you check your clock and it's been, it's been three, three years. And you're like, well, when am I going to actually contend? When am I going to actually make some money? When am I going to actually beat my, my friends and league mates here? And the answer is not anytime soon. So you got to be very, very careful. So I'll leave you with that. And until next time, oh, and we have Katie Flower at FF underscore Skyler 399. Didn't want to miss that. And we just had a war room and interrogation room series talking about just the subject we brought up at the end of the show, which is rookie and Devi values, making trades. Um, so we have that series available on the premium side of UTH, about two plus hours where we talked uh, incoming rookies as well as Devi prospects. So until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties.